Meet Navarre. Navarre was a Native American member of the Kiowa tribe. That spelled like Iowa with a K at the beginning. As a boy, he hated living on the reservation. He hated being a member of the Kiowa. He hated all the customs of his people. He hated the names, the stigma, the poverty, the clothes. He hated the way his people talked. He just wanted to be a regular American boy. He was tired of being what he called, quote, a shabby member of a shabby people, end quote. It all started with his grandpa. That was when Navarre started hating what he was. There was to be a parade in the city next to the reservation, and the city asked Navarre's grandpa to wear his full headdress and march in the city parade. But during the parade, three young men from the crowd started mocking Grandpa and following him. They imitated him, exaggerating his shuffle. They even knocked off his headdress. One of them picked it up and put it on backward. Another yanked it off and put it on in mock nobility, and then signaled to the others to accompany him to a public trash can on the side of the street, where they walked, hooping and crying like the Indians on old cowboy shows. That was two years ago. On this particular day, Navarre was going to have to spend the day with his grandpa in grandpa's smelly house. Navarre's mother dropped him off and left. Navarre sat there on a chair. Nobody else seemed to be home. But a few minutes later, grandpa entered the room wearing the headdress, which he had repaired somewhat. And he started to speak to his grandson. I'm I'm very old, Navarre. I have perhaps just a few weeks to live. But I want to tell you about our people. The Kiowa come from the cold plains. Our friends were the Apache. Our enemies were the Cheyenne and the Navajo. And for the next two hours, between labored breaths, the chief told of the history of his people, of the buffalo hunts and the time before the white man of the Great Migration. Grandpa stopped only when the young boy's mother returned to take him home. And the boy began to weep. He hugged his grandpa's neck. He pushed up the headdress. He kissed the crown of his grandpa's head. And he said, goodbye, great one. Many years later, after a lifetime spent in service to his people, Navarre recalled that day he went to his grandfather's house. He went to that house wanting to be nothing more than a regular American boy. But he left grandpa's house wanting to be nothing less than a member of the Kiowa. In light of this story, one apostolic minister asked the question, Would those who hear me tell of Christ and of our faith be able to say, whenever I'm through, that although they came wanting to be little more than a success in worldly terms, they left wanting to be nothing less than apostolic? Very good, provoking question. And we'll get to it right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Hey, good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. Today's episode stems from the lesson that is dated November 28th, 2021, and it is entitled Created to Worship. It's the last lesson of this fall quarter before we go into the blustery, wintry months. So I'm looking forward to sharing this with you today. If you would, 
turn in your companion student guide if you have one. If you don't, just turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at the last psalm in the book of Psalms, Psalm 150. And we'll look simply at verse number 6. Psalm 150, verse 6 reads, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. We're not the only ones to praise God. All of nature praises God. In doing so, it teaches us who God is. David said in the 8th Psalm, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. What taught David of God's greatness, of God's inexplicable concern and love for human beings? And it wasn't just something he heard or something he read. It was nature, the nocturnal sky, the moon, the stars. They taught David these things. These heavenly bodies, by their beauty and their majesty, live to the praise of their creator. Just as a beautiful baby girl lives as a testimony of her parents or a skilled musician's music with every note speaks to the skill of his teacher, all of creation speaks to the glory of God, the creator. Think about the most beautiful place you've ever been on the earth. What was it that made it so striking, so significant, so beautiful to you? Think about some of the simple things we do every day. Some of you are thinking this right now. Oh, I would love some coffee right about now. And some of you who weren't thinking that are now thinking that you would love some coffee right about now. Just to say that simple sentence, I would love some coffee right about now. Our brain must make a number of intricate bioelectrical, grammatical, and vocabulary decisions. You may not have realized that. And that number, for all practical purposes, that might as well be expressed as infinite. We could say the same sentence in so many ways. We could use different tenses, moods, persons, sentence structures. Our faculty of speech is so ingenious and so remarkable. Even in small children, it's a miracle. No computer on earth has yet been designed with the ability to match even a fraction of our capabilities. When my little girl was little, little, she used to say, What did you said? And even though we know that's not the right tense, boy, it sure was cute. But for her to be able to say that required a remarkable amount of computing power in her own mind. Just to put it in comparison, if we were to match a human's capacity for speech, we would have to build a computer the size of the Empire State Building and then two equally large water towers to cool it right beside it. Experts made that comparison about 10 years ago, and technology has indeed advanced somewhat since then. Thankfully, now we have some text-to-speech opportunities, and we have speech technology, but even compared to a child's speech, it's still woefully inadequate what we have designed versus what God has created. No wonder the psalmist said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are the glory of God. 
Our bodies are vessels of worship. In fact, Paul even says in the New Testament, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so with our bodies, we glorify God. In what ways do we do that? In what ways do we worship God every day? The psalmist understood our natural desire, inclination, need to worship. He understood we will worship something. Therefore, we must set our hearts to worship God and Him alone. This natural desire to worship, it reflects God's purpose, which He planted deep inside of all of us. God's desire and purpose for all of us is to give glory and our worship to Him because as the Almighty, as the Creator, as our Savior, as the Creator who became our Savior, He alone is worthy of our worship. So no wonder the songbook of the Old Testament and of the Scripture ends in Psalm 150, and ends with, Praise ye the Lord. Psalm 150 comes at the end of the book of Psalms because in musical terms, it resolves all the chords that have been held in suspense in dissonance throughout those earlier Psalms. At the beginning of the book of Psalms, we were given exactly 10 descriptions of what the blessed man does. He walks not, stands not, sits not, does delight, does meditate in the day, does meditate in the night, is planted by water, brings forth fruit, has an unwithering leaf, and prospers. At the very end of the book of Psalms, Psalm 150 plays a full-throated chorus of praise with exactly, you guessed it, ten instruments. The trumpet, the psaltery, the harp, the timbrel, the dance, stringed instruments, organs, loud cymbals, high-sounding cymbals, and everything that has breath. The connection between the book and Psalms is important to realize, to recognize. The one who walks according to the word of the Lord will ultimately end this journey in pure praise. The seeds planted in Psalm 1 come to full flower in Psalm 150. When we plant the tiny seed of delighting in God's word, in the end, it will blossom into the highly beautiful, disciplined praise of the blessed. Genesis opens with God's voice booming from the darkness. Let there be light. God has a better voice than that. (laughs) The miraculous scene continued to unfold as the heavenly bodies formed. Grass grew, animals roamed free. A man and woman manicured the perfect garden. The pages of the Old Testament are filled, brimful, with the exploits of the Almighty. Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Battles won with trumpets and lanterns. Entire armies, formidable foes defeated simply because God sent ambushments and fought for his people. You perhaps have a testimony of God's mighty acts in your own life, healing where there was no hope or restoration where there was only brokenness or maybe peace while the storm raged all around you. This is why the psalmist declared, praise him for his mighty acts. Surely there's something we can praise God for today. Think about it. Certainly, and here in America, we have been thinking about it over this past week, which marks our Thanksgiving week, but it's good to be thankful all year. What is a mighty act God has performed in your life for which today you can give him praise? Now, have you ever heard somebody offer a lavish compliment to you and then offer that same lavish compliment to somebody else? Many years ago, a friend of mine came up to me and looked me in the eye and said, LJ, you are the man. 
and oh, I felt 10 feet tall. I have high respect and regard for this young man. So when he told me that, I was just, wow, this guy thinks I'm the man. And I thought that until he walked just a few feet over, looked somebody else right in the eye, and told that gentleman, bro, you are the man. And I thought, I thought I was the man. A compliment didn't mean so much whenever somebody else shared it with somebody else the same way they shared it with you. Think about if a highly skilled performer performed along somebody who's, let's just say it very kindly, wasn't quite as good as the highly skilled performer. But if at the end of both of their performance, the crowd gave both of them an equally rousing standing ovation, the performer who put more practice and skill and time and training into her performance probably doesn't feel like the crowd really appreciated what she really did. Either the one who gives the compliment is unable to discern the difference between the two performers or praise was just words, easily given, common, not sincere. The praise one receives is only valuable as the sincerity and discernment of the one who gives it. We are to praise God according to his excellent greatness. Those who have made God's word the delight of their soul, and you certainly are because you're listening to this episode, ultimately praise God with the highest praise. It's one thing to praise him with our lips. It's another thing altogether to praise him with our whole being. The prophet once heard God complain that his people praised him with their lips, but their heart was far from him, Isaiah 29. Though we use musical instruments to praise the Lord, there's also a symbolic meaning to the panoply of instruments the psalmist mentioned. The number the psalmist mentioned suggests a whole orchestra, every instrument needed for an ancient symphony. Orchestras offer this great diversity, flexibility, this great subtlety. All the instruments necessary to play just about any piece of music can be played by an orchestra. An orchestra is blessed with the brass and percussion instruments to play high-tempo, large-sounding music, but it also has the recorder, which you might have played in elementary school or grade school, the violin, the lute. So when music needs that light, soft, tender touch, the orchestra can play that too. Think about your favorite worship songs. Maybe on some Sundays, your favorite worship songs are those high-energy, loud-sounding, aisle-running type songs. But on other days, it's those sweet, soft, tender tones of pure, raw worship. Think about your favorite songs and think about why they're your favorite. The one who lives the life of the blessed, described in Psalm 1, eventually goes from being able to give solar performances of praise to God to offering an entire orchestra with a full complement of instruments. Every part of this person's life will praise the Lord. Family life, business, friendships, citizenship, ministry, thoughts, integrity, even finances, even this person's dreams, private meditations on the past will ring with praise to God. How many instruments, how many areas of your, of your life are praising God? Are you praising him with your friendships? But are you struggling with your private thoughts? Are you praising him with your business, but struggling with your personal finance? 
How many areas have you yet to surrender to God in praise? Back in ancient Israel, children learned who God was from their parents' praise. The point of Israel's praise was not to give God an ego boost. He doesn't need that. God is not struggling with a fragile self-image. Israel's praise served the purpose of theology, to teach others of God's greatness, His exploits, His tender mercies, His unfailing love, His mighty power, the righteousness of His judgments, the holiness of His word. Miriam's song on the other side of the sea taught future generations that God is superior over all false gods. David's praise taught Israel that God was high above all creation, yet he was as close as the mention of his name. Moses' words, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, are a shout of praise, a defiant cry against any pretender God. Without the patriarchs, the matriarchs' praise, Israel's theology would have been empty. Young Israelites would have never known God. Corporate worship is so important. But this is a call to ensure that our whole life is praising God, that every relationship is honoring God in praise. Every private thought is held captive to Christ. When our whole being is given wholly over to God, praise reaches its crescendo, this earth-shaking crescendo of Psalm 150. That kind of praise, praise that unanimously arises from every corner of our being, is so compelling It shouts to everyone in our vicinity, let everyone that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Think about some things people worship. What do people worship in our world? And why do you consider it worship? As we close out the 150th Psalm in the whole book of Psalms, praise ye the Lord is not just a verbal command, it's the unspoken command of the soul. It's what people hear from your life whenever they think of you. Like the Kiowa grandfather we heard about earlier, speaking with his whole life of the majesty of his people and compelling his grandson to walk away with a blazing desire to tell others of this majesty, so does the apostolic. Having in concert a life lived in praise to God, so do we teach others of the glory of God and compel them in a thousand ways. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let's wrap this up. A preacher led his congregation one worship service in the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And if you've never heard it, these are the lyrics as the congregation sang it together. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree. Then am I dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When the echo of the final word died away, the congregation noticed the preacher. He was struggling to contain his composure. 
when he was finally confident he could speak without breaking into a teary contortion, he said, the full force of what we just sang has, after all these years, finally reached my heart. And I know not whether I shall ever be able to do much else but sing. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that's a present far too small. Love so amazing and divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Were the whole realm of nature mine. Mine. The whole realm mine. Have I been singing this song all these years and not dared know what I was singing? Maybe you've wondered the same thing. If not, let me ask you that very pointed and hopefully provoking question. Do you know what you're singing? Whether in private devotion or in public worship, do you know when you sing the words you sing? Do you know? Do I know? Do we know what we're really singing? If not, meditate on those words. Think about those words. And then offer praise to God, both through our words and through our life, for who he is and what he's done. Let's pray right now and ask the Lord to help us to live a life for the glory and honor of God, that every area of our life would be an instrument used to give praise and glory to him. Jesus, I love you. When I think of who you are and think of all you've done, I can't help but give praise. I don't just want to give praise with my lips. I want my life to praise you. I pray every area of my life would be used as an instrument to give glory to you. I pray in every area of my life, of all of those who are listening, use it to give glory and honor and praise to you. Help us to live a life of praise and worship, wholehearted, heartfelt praise and worship to you. God, you are amazing beyond words. Our words are so weak, so inadequate, so insufficient to offer true praise to you. But help us nevertheless to use those words in every area to do just that. We honor, we worship, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I feel such a beautiful holiness and praise and presence of God right now. I hope and pray you feel the same. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I certainly hope it's been a blessing to you, as much a blessing for you to hear it as it was for me to share it. And if you have not yet clicked subscribe, please do so. Click on that subscribe button so you'll know every time a new episode drops and you'll be able to stay right with us as we continue to journey through God's Word for Life. If you're new to God's Word for Life, hey, welcome aboard. We're so glad you're here. We, we meet every week and we study God's Word together and we allow it to change our lives. You can find more resources about God's Word for Life whether you lead a small group or you just look for something for your private devotion. You can find all of that or you lead a large church family. You can find it all at godswordforlife.faith, and that will be a great resource and a great place for you to go to get all those God's Word for Life resources. Next week, we begin a brand new series called The Revelation of God, and in that series, we're going to take a look at the time God showed himself to Moses in the burning bush, the time he showed himself on top of Mount Sinai, 
the time Jesus identified as the I am, and then we're going to see Jesus in Revelation as the I am. That's going to be this next series, and the first lesson of it will be dated December 5th, 2021, and it is entitled Commissioned by God. We're going to take a look at Moses, the burning bush, and who God said he is. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next time, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.